Father, we thank you that we can gather around the truth of your word. Lord, we thank you that we gather to draw our attention to the only one worthy of it, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we sang, Lord, we, we praise your name. We know that our Savior, that Jesus is better than anything else we're walking through. And so, Lord, we long to hear from you today. Uh, we long to hear from your word, that you would encourage us, that you would comfort us, that you would lift us up, and that you would exhort us and urge us to endure in the faithfulness that you have called us to. Would you take just a moment right where you're seated to ask the Lord to speak to you from his word this morning. Lord, thanks for your faithfulness to speak. You were good and you were kind and you were full of mercy. We praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It is uh, really good to be with you this morning. Um, today, I'm, uh, I'm flooded with memories of the last 11 years and a host of emotions, as you can imagine. Um, kind of have a normal Sunday ritual that I go through and walk through. And um, this morning, I just kind of thought, you know, I'm going to I'm just going to soak it in, in every step that I take and making the coffee and doing all the things. And, um, and then I got here to the church, as is our custom. Clayton and I both get here early. And Clayton was ahead of me. And I, as I started to walk downstairs, that's when I lost it. Um, <clears throat> so you know what kind of day it's going to be when you've already cried in the 6 a.m. hour. Um, and so uh, I'm going to stay tied to this maybe so I can get through it. Um, and just having that moment with him this morning, just remembering countless mornings where we have come together and prepared for a service and walked in and I see Clayton sitting there. He's getting himself prepared. I'm getting myself prepared. Um, and it's just a host of emotions for me. Um, I never saw this day uh, coming. My last day as a lead pastor of White Rock Fellowship, um, August 26th of 2012, uh, we moved from Austin to Dallas uh, to replant White Rock Fellowship. And I remember the first Sunday looking around and being like, who are these people? Um, I didn't know. Uh, we loved where we were in Austin. Uh, and God interrupted us and he called us to move to Dallas to a church that was meeting at Hotchkiss Elementary right down this way, about 200 yards. Some of, I see some faces, some of you were there in those days. Um, and our first Sunday, I remember there was, we, it's, we were in their auditorium and it's a room that holds about 300 people. It's kind of long like this. And there's about 40 people there all sitting on the last three rows of the auditorium. <laughs> I was like, who are these people? Like, that's a long way away, you know? Um, and uh, I remember each chair in Hotchkiss, uh, they squeak really loud. So every time you're like, please be seated, please stand up. I just did that opposite. They would be like, like the whole place. It was just like, okay, here we are. And I wondered, who, who are these people? What will this church be? Who are we going to be as a church? Um, never could have imagined that I would love a church like I love this church. 
Over the last few weeks, uh, there's been a lot of grief in us. Um, But as Clayton encouraged us in the meeting, um, especially these last few days, there's just been so much gratitude for God's kindness and his love and his mercy that I got to be your pastor for the last 11 plus years. And so who are we 11 years later? We've never, we'll never arrive. That's until Jesus returns. We, but who are we? In many ways, I, I feel a little bit like, I can only imagine a little bit like how Paul felt when he wrote to the Thessalonians, as we heard read. Paul planted the church in Thessalonica, and he dearly loved those people. He writes them a letter, and you can tell all the way through the whole letter how much he loves them. But you can also tell the kind of people they were. Uh, and I want to look at it today as we think about who we are and who we're going to be. First Thessalonians 1, verse 2. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great fa- phrase to have said about a church. That they live out their faith. They have this work of faith. They trust God in the midst of what's happening. They, they have a labor of love. It's love that isn't always easy. It's worked at, but it's a labor of loving one another. And then it's a steadfastness of hope. Their hope is in nothing else but in Christ and his gospel. And as Paul commended the church at Thessalonica, I want to commend you to those same words. I have had a front row seat for the last 11 years to see your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. We've trusted God for all kinds of things together over the years, um, buildings, locations. Um, as I was thinking about it this week, uh, one of the big things I, I think through a profound way we walked through faith was through the pandemic together. Um, it was a difficult time for everyone. Um, and we as a church, we trusted God through it. I'm so thankful that we did not let fear take over. We did not let preference or selfishness or agenda take over. We trusted God. There's a lot of churches that didn't make it through that. But God was faithful and you were faithful to trust God even when it was very uncertain. It, it is in uncertainty where faith shines. And Paul says a work of faith. It's in the uncertainty where we begin to see, as we sang, faith shining in the midst of darkness. Secondly, the labor of love. <clears throat> I said a few weeks ago, I think one of the biggest strengths our church has is our love for one another. Um, I could go row by row. Why are you at White Rock Fellowship? And row by row, you would say, it's this community. It's the people. It's not the sermons. It's not the music. It's not the kids program. It's not the coffee. It's not the flashy programs. It's because of the love of this community. And it is unique. And I want you to know that. It's special. Since I've announced my transition, uh, time and time again, many of you have come up to encourage me. And you've, you've kind of been like, I mean, Jeff, we like you and all. You're, you know, you're good. We, you know, um, but we love this community. And there's no better words that a pastor could hear. There's no sweeter words to hear that this church is marked by a labor of love. 
a work of faith, a labor of love, but he also says a steadfastness of hope. What do I mean by that? There could be many things I could talk about with that, but one of the things that I thought through was we live in a city where it's very easy to put our hope in almost anything else. And our city is so consumeristic that even church has become a commodity to consume. I think it's very tempting in a city like ours to sort of try to jump from one brand of church to another brand of church to another brand of church with just this sense of, of maybe this will be where I will find hope, even in a church. And yet here, I'm so thankful that our hope has been in Christ alone. You are only content to let this church be about Jesus and his gospel. And I want to commend you for that. The hope is not in the next new thing. Your hope is not even in the church. Your hope is in Christ. It's part of what makes this church so special. And I want to encourage you, 11 years later, this is who we are. I've seen it time and time again. You've seen it too. A work of faith, a labor of love, a steadfastness of hope. But I also want to encourage you to press on in these things, to continue to endeavor to trust God in the midst of uncertainty out there and even in here, to trust him in uncertainty, to continue to labor at loving one another, to, to outdo one another in showing honor, to put others' interests above your own, to, to love sacrificially, even when it's hard. It's a labor of love. And to continue to have a steadfast hope in Jesus alone and nothing else. He encourages them with these words, and I want to encourage us as well as he goes on, verse four. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. There's nothing like Paul when he's just giving a commendation and he just preaches the gospel again. But what a commendation to receive as a church. No church is ever perfect and we won't arrive until Jesus returns. But I want us to aspire to have these things said about us as a church for the next 11 years to say this is what I want us to be about look at verse 5 the gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction Paul has seen how the gospel took root in their lives when the gospel is planted in a community this is what happens it was not just an idea or a sermon preached by Paul when he was there. What happens when the gospel takes root is it actually comes with power. It comes with the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, leading us to full conviction, surrendering our entire lives to him. He is king over every part of our lives with full conviction. That's what the gospel does when it takes root in us, in word and in deed and in power. But he also says, 
that they became imitators of, of us and of the Lord. Great statement. They became imitators of their spiritual parents, Paul and the missionaries that were sent, but not just of their spiritual parents, but they became imitators of the Lord. This is discipleship. This is following Jesus no matter what. And I often say about our church, we have such a significant core of people here who really want to grow, who really want to spend time in his word and be disciples to know what it looks like to follow Jesus in every part of our life. Uh, when you look at how many people in our, are, in our church are in groups and men's and women's and other Bible studies, et cetera, that, this is a value here that we want to follow Christ together. And I want to commend that to you. But I also want to encourage us and charge us to not let that wane because as that wanes, other things start to fade as well. We cannot let the value of discipleship fade. And it will not be easy to continue and to endure. It wasn't easy for them. It's not easy for us. In fact, look what he says. He says, for you receive the word in much affliction. Thessalonica was a, was a commercial and economic booming city, much like our city. Faith in Jesus and the values that came with it strongly went against the culture of that city. And materialism, and success, and image management, and kids' success, and pleasure-seeking, and envy, and comparison, keeping up with the cultural agenda, et cetera, et cetera, all of these things come with a city like Thessalonica, and they come with a city like Dallas. It's hard. It's with much affliction to continue to endure and to follow Jesus, to become an imitator of him in all things. And yet even in that affliction, notice what he says at the end of verse six, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word of much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. With what? The joy of the Holy Spirit, the joy that superseded their circumstances. This is what happens when the gospel takes root in a community. It comes with power. It comes with the Holy Spirit. It surrender our lives to full conviction. It leads us to follow Jesus, even in affliction, with a, with a joy that supersedes our circumstances. And then in verse nine, he says, he commends them for how they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And just like here in Thessalonica, there were a lot of idols they could worship but they chose to turn from that and to worship the true and living God. We've talked a lot about idolatry over the years because it's such a theme throughout the scriptures. But there's this constant temptation, desire to worship, and that's the word we use, to worship, to arrange our lives around ourselves or our, our stuff or the identity in something or someone. Whatever it is, there's a constant pull to that. And this call, what Paul sees in them and this call for all of us is to turn from that and to worship him. And the first thing we have to do to do that is to identify them. We take time to say, Lord, what am I worshiping? What is it that's constantly drawing my attention? This tells me that that church was not content with staying on the surface. They had to address their idols. They had to stop worshiping them and worship the true God. And the temptation is for all of us to stay on the surface. The surface is safe. It's comfortable. And it's one of the primary idols that plagues the church and all of Dallas. We have to be vigilant against surface spirituality. Just doing church because doing church is a thing to do. But rather to plumb the depths of our walk with the Lord means we're gonna have to go deep with him. 
to not be content with surface spirituality so that we can even identify the idols that we're so tempted to worship. When the gospel takes root, it drives us deeper. And I've seen that over and over and over again, year by year here at White Rock Fellowship, the gospel taking root. And I wanna charge you to keep going, to continue to be vigilant in it, to surrender our lives to him, to make discipleship, following Jesus a priority in our life and to walk even in the midst of affliction with the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we can find joy in the midst of affliction. What a great description of the church. 11 years ago, I never could have known who we would be. And I would use these same words to describe us now. But we must continue in that. And how do we do it? Now, Paul, he, he continues in the whole of chapter two. We're not gonna read all of it. But the whole of chapter two, he talks about how this happens. How does the gospel take root? How does it continue to take root? Well, and it might surprise us. What he talks about all through chapter two is relationships, deep, intimate, authentic relationships with the church. As I said, you can tell he loves his people, but he has walked with them. And so look at chapter two, a couple of verses in it. Verse seven, he says, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. I love this language. Look at it. It's, it's legitimately affectionate for the people. He loved them. And what did he do? He preached the gospel. He shared the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. That without him, we have nothing. But because of his life and his death and his resurrection, we have life and we have life abundant and we have a future secure with him forever. We have forgiveness of sins. We have a new identity over and over and over again. He preached the gospel. But how did it take the root? Look what he says. I love this verse. One of my favorite verses. He not only shared the gospel, but he shared his life with them. You see, the gospel took root because not only the true propositions of the gospel, but also because they shared their life with one another. It wasn't a distant thing. It was an intimate thing. It was close-knit, where Paul invested in these relationships. Outside of his comforts, outside of his rights, he gave his relationship to follow Jesus. Now, he says, like a mother who cares and loves and nurtures people, often sacrificing in ways that go unseen. But he also says in verse 11, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You see, the gospel took root because these relationships they had together. Uh, All of this language is so relational because it is in the context of relationships. That is the greenhouse by which we grow spiritually. It is the way that God has designed for us to grow. He was like a mother who was nurturing and loving and like a father who encourages, comforts, and even urges or exhorts them on towards, it says, look, walking in a manner worthy of God. What was the purpose of this love? What were the purpose of these relationships? So that they would be pushed and encouraged and urged to continue and endure, to continue to cultivate the kind of relationship with Jesus. We're imitating him. We're surrendering our lives. We're casting down idols. This descriptive of him in chapter one happens because of the relationships they have in chapter two. 
And as I've said multiple times over the last few weeks, I think relationships are the greatest strength of our church. But it is also the way that we move forward. By cultivating and investing in these kinds of relationships that point us to Jesus, that urge us to follow him. And we need each other to do this. We need the kind of community that spends time in the scriptures and and allows the scriptures to guide them. We need the kind of community that diligently and affectionately prays for one another. We need the kind of community that knows each other in such a way that we can influence one another. And we need the kind of community that doesn't stop short of urging us forward to trusting him. It's imperfect and it's messy because it's people but it's how God has designed us to follow him together. So how do you do that? He says in verse eight, you share the gospel and you share your life. You bring the truth of the gospel, you bring the propositions that are true, that the truth that our identity is solely found in Jesus, the truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, the truth that we have everything we need for life and godliness, the truth that we will be with him forever, the truth that we are forgiven, all of these truths, we need that. But we do that in the context of sharing our life with one another, so as to glorify God, to obey him, to trust him, to believe in him. Everywhere Paul went, he invested like this. He invested in people, he invested in community, and it takes this kind of investment for a church to be described this way, as it was in 1 Thessalonians, as a work of faith, as a labor of love, and a steadfastness of hope. And so this is my encouragement for us. It's already our greatest strength double down on it. Invest in community. Make that a priority when the pressures of Dallas are pushing you out. When the idols seem easier, even when it may seem like something else will bring, un, will bring hope in uncertain times, this is my encouragement to you. Keep sharing the gospel and keep sharing your life. It's a worth the investment because it's how spiritual growth happens. But also... It's worth it because there will be a day when all of us in some form or fashion are saying goodbye. And what will have mattered at that point? Talk to anyone at the end of their life. What matters? What's the thing that they want to talk about? They can't stop talking about. It's relationships. In fact, Paul says it like this. The end of chapter two, verse 19. He says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? What, what could it be? It could be a lot of things. The churches he planted, sermons he preached, the success he had, the studies he did, the leaders he appointed, the, the, you know, the structures he put into place, which are all good things. But he says, for what is our hope or our joy or our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. What was it for Paul? His crown of boasting, his hope, his joy was the relationships that he pursued in that church and in every church he went to. And the only way that we can say like Paul, is it not you? For you are our glory, you are our joy is if we've invested in these relationships that push us toward Jesus. 
right before I walked up here, Manny said, it's, it's a good thing to be sad about this. Because we have chased him together. We've followed him together. We've pursued this and we've tried to live in relationship. So as I say goodbye, I will have so many memories. I love what we've accomplished over the last 11 years. I love the mission opportunities, the churches planted, the Bible studies started, the classes taught, the sermons preached, the worship services we've been in together. But as I say goodbye, what I want to close with is my hope, my joy, my crown of boasting is the relationships I've had with you. Like Paul, you are my glory and my joy. And it's only the investment of these kinds of relationship that points us to Jesus that matters. It's, it's what we'll care about at the end. And so this is what I'm walking away with today. My love and my joy for who you are. <laughs> 11 years later, who is this church? Who are these people? I'm so grateful for who we are. I'm so grateful to God. And I'm so grateful to you. And it has been one of the biggest honors and joy of my life to be your pastor the last 11 years. So I want to say thank you. Like Paul, in my heart, I thank you. I thank my God for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this encouragement from your word to be this kind of church that is described this way, this work of faith and this labor of love and the steadfastness of hope. Lord, I thank you that as we have sung and as we have celebrated the gospel today that we are reminded that our Savior Jesus also did not keep this as a distant thing, but instead came to earth, God becoming man for us. Did not stay at a distance, but came to live and to die for us, to sacrifice himself. What a labor of love. For what purpose? For us so that we might be invited into a relationship with you and so that we might, together with the body of Christ, follow our Savior, Jesus. I thank you that the gospel is intensely relational, that you loved us so much, you loved us so much, that you were willing to sacrifice your own son for us. And it is because of his broken body and his blood shed on the cross that we have life and that we have a relationship with you. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.